welcome to Film Lovers. My name's Sonia Chung. We'll be talking to people who work in the film industry and who are also avid film lovers. Today I'll be talking to actor and writer Chris Berides. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't say why. Spirides. Spirides. There you go. Yeah. Spirides. Really a professional. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> friends can manage. So. Um, why don't you start off by telling us where you, where your surname comes from? Okay, uh, my dad is Greek Cypriot. Uh, oh, I did kind of wonder if it was a Greek thing. It sounds yeah. like it, yeah. Yeah, so he came over here and met my mum, Crikey, uh, 60 years ago now. Yeah, wow. 61, 1961, he came over. And, uh, and my mum's British, um, oh, like cool. seriously British, like there's English, Scottish, Welsh and Irish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It's all there. It's all there. And a bit of Romany hidden away as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Typically British, I would say. A mix okay. of everything. But you were born here? Yeah, I was born in uh, born in Walthamstone. Well, Leightonstone, Whips Cross Hospital. Okay. Um, and I should mention, so this is kind of like a link. Um, you are friends with, well, you go tell everyone, who are you friends with that we've previously spoken to? Interviews. Um, I, I know Mark uh, Brown, Mark A.C. Brown, uh, David Whitney and Brad Watson. Um, I've known Mark and David for, oh, must be about 12, 12 years or so now. Okay. Is it longer? Jeez. I could, no, it's like 14, 15 years I've, right. I've known them. Crikey, seven. How did you I, meet them? I met David Whitney, first of all, at um, Edinburgh Festival. Okay. Uh, mutual friends. Um, I was doing a play up there, and he was gigging as a stand-up, and um, and we had a mutual friend. And, uh, um, yeah, just ended up hanging about uh, with each other quite a bit. And because of that, because of the mutual friend, I ended up doing a, an actor's showcase for actors that were without representation. And the piece, so all of the pieces in that showcase were new write, bits of new writing. And the piece I was given is written by Mark. So, um, so that's how I met Mark. Okay. And then he introduced you to... Brad, did he? Oh, Brad, yeah, Brad, um, I met more recently, maybe five years ago. Okay. See, I had this 10-year figure. I know. Like, 15, it's just like that. The 80s only feel like 20 years ago to me still. Well, that's so. it, is that it's quite deceptive, is that sometimes something that happens a long time ago can still feel like yesterday. And I think with COVID as well, especially last year, like everyone automatically refers to last year as 2019. Like last year was just like... Yeah, right, right. It's like two years, just total pause. Isn't yeah. It? It's, what, did you, what did you do in your COVID days, granddad? Oh, uh, God. Um, nothing. I, I, I can't remember. We went to lockdown in March last year and... That lasted, how long did that last? It was about four, five months? I, 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 don't, I don't even no. know anything. Um, I don't know what I was doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I do remember doing lots of, because I swim a lot, but I do remember, because everywhere was closed and the pools were closed, um, I live really close to Richmond Park, so I just used to go around Richmond Park and do long walks around there, because nice. um, it helps to keep moving and, you know, it's good for your brain, because if I'm stuck inside all the time, it, it drives me crazy, literally, so I just kind of need to keep moving and it's quite therapeutic actually in a way what about you what's yeah, you i've seen i've actually seen people that have uh, suffered greatly from from isolation during this period and um yeah and it can it can really turn people crazy as well if they end up going down the wrong youtube echo chamber <laughs> but you know <laughs> right. what's funny crikey there's some madness out there i tell you i know but you know what's funny um because I was telling you I suffer from anxiety and um, also depression, but I've had that, you know, lots of counselling and CBT to help that. Um, there was a thing on TV and there was a woman, uh, an actress, can't remember her name, anyway, um, and she was saying that because she has it as well. But she was saying that the people with, like, depression and anxiety were actually managing a lot better <laughs> than the people who don't and we're having to help them <laughs> do you know what I mean which kind of makes sense because in a way we have to fall back on a coping mechanism so Absolutely. if you're already managing yeah uh, health issues and you know it's like oh yeah I can I've spent a, a week editing something or whatever not leaving the house you know I've and been fine with it and um yeah, I mean, as well, that's something I've, I've got better with uh, uh, as I've got older anyway, when I was, you know, in my 20s, maybe. Mm. Was, like, staying in was like, Jesus, no. Right? <laughs> Do what? Um, so you ne never get used to your own company. And some people are terrible with their own company. And uh, but I think it's one of the most important things. You've got to live with yourself, right? See, I think I'm the same as you. I could say, like, when I was in my 20s, I hated my own company. And then the older I got, I've become more comfortable with who I am. That's and actually, nice. I don't mind it as much. Yeah. I, I actually, then I can, you know, I don't have to be around people to to feel good about myself I, I don't know if that makes sense because there's other things like yeah I mean we're obviously both creative like uh, Mark David and Brad are so so that's kind of like you know that that in a way is fulfilling in itself and a good I guess coping mechanism in as well and you're releasing your your you know your creativity you're doing something whereas a lot of people just kind of don't really embark on anything they're too afraid that's what the arts do isn't it it's like you can take all of that all of that energy all of that negative energy and you can transform it and in the process of transforming it into a work you are also detaching it from yourself mm. becoming more subjective about about a certain situation mm. And therefore, instead of you know, carrying this weight, it's now it's now become a thing. And yeah. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, that's healthy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so one question I have, I'll ask before we get going, ish, is is do you have any juicy gossip on the other three? <laughs> and bear in mind, if you want to get in trouble, and also Brad's filming at the moment, so we have to be super. <laughs> What is he um, filming, by the way? Do you know? Sorry. 
do you know what he's filming at the no, moment? No idea. No idea. Sorry. I don't know. No, he posted I, I... something on Facebook, and and I put <laughs> I put a comment and I said, "Are you tearing your hair out?" Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't <laughs> replied. He's obviously too busy. So so. Uh, he'll be in the thick of it. No, I did think of. About making up rumours about David and Mark. So <laughs> maybe they're just as valuable. So, um, <laughs> so here is one. Uh, David collects freeze dried turds, which he then fashions into the shape of film stars that he admires. Are you serious? Uh, of course it looks serious, but you know, <laughs> we, we can make this rumour, we can, we can, you know, let this rumour spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The thing is, I don't think anybody would doubt it. um... Um, All right, then. So why don't you tell us, basically, because you're an actor and a writer. So I guess, in a way, you're kind of... (laughs) You need uh, to basically talk in two different persons, really. So how did you start with the acting? And also, at the same time, how did you start with the writing? Where did it all begin? Well, I've always been performing, really. Uh, you know, since the first ever nativity play I was in. I mean, it's really, actually, it's quite funny. Uh, my friend of mine texted me the other day and he goes, uh, mate, my, my daughter has just been cast in the nativity as a door. As a what? As a door. As she's a door? playing the part of a door. She's not the only door, but she's playing the part of a bloody door. That's so and mean. To, and I did reply to him, you know, if, you know, I, I <laughs> the first nativity I did, I played the king who brought myrrh. I was dressed in purple and gold with a purple and gold crown. It looked fantastic, right? Now, if the only decoration I'd been wearing had been a fucking handle, <laughs> I might have taken a slightly different direction. So. Um, but you play that was a good part for you. I never got. I always bad, wanted to be Mary. I'm the murdered. Yeah, you're the murdered. Murdered. I wanted to be Mary every year. I hoped they'll cast me as Mary, <laughs> and they put me in the background somewhere. Like you know, I was like, bell. I one one time I was a bell or something. Um. And I was just like, I was on the stage and off the stage as soon as you could say like this. And it was always like, you know, the most um, uh, popular girl in the class or whatever that somehow got the bit, the best part. And I was seething in the background going, oh, I need to be Mary. Politics, the biting politics. I know. Castings. So, so carry on, you were saying. So that was your first. I've been, I've always uh, performed, always wrote like little plays that we'd do in front of mates. Like, uh, I remember doing a sketch show when I was eight with a mate where it was, it was all kind of parodies of things you were into on TV. So, The 18, Fame, Doctor Who, you know, a Knight Rider, you know, all these little skits about all of those kind of things. And, um, and so that was pretty much my trajectory until I got the, um, funnily enough, until I got to sixth form college when I started studying it properly. So I was doing an A-level in theatre studies. And it was at that point that I got into a band. 
And then that was the next seven years of my life taken up doing that. I was a singer and lyricist okay. in, a, in a band for all of that time. So acting took a massive back burner and, uh, you know, I'd even forgot that it was an ambition but, uh, because I was so involved in the music right up until the moment when I, I kind of remembered what I, <laughs> what my previous path had been and uh, applied to drama school. Um, yeah. what, what kind of music did your band play? Uh, kind of indie. Indie. Broadly, broadly indie. Okay. So, like, roughly what time period was this? In the 90s? Uh, 92 until 99. Okay. Yes. So it's a so, big indie thing then, yeah. So from, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally in the middle of the Britpop periods. So uh, kind of surrounding that. So from 17 until 2024, 20, 23, 24, the last band I was in split up around about that time. Okay. Um, and then um, and then I applied to drama school. And, uh, yeah, and then it's been, it's been this trajectory more or less. What last, drama school did you go to? Arts Ed in Chiswick, Turnham Green. Yeah. Yeah. So was that like a full-time course that you did? Absolutely. You know, one minute late and you were suspended for the day. Really? Yeah, three times late, you're suspended for a week. Yeah, really um, brilliant. It's the best. Jesus, you soon, you soon learn to be punctual. Yeah. Um, did they, uh, so like, was it one of those where it was during the daytime or you were allowed, you had to work during the daytime to afford it to go in the evenings? No, no, it was totally, uh, it, in the was, weekend. To, it was nine, nine till six every day, nine till five. So it's like a full working day, you know. Yeah. I mean, we were always told by the teachers at the time, you know, Jesus, embrace this time because you're not going to be working this much when you get out there in the real world. And it's yeah. true. The luxury of six weeks rehearsal on a play, stuff like that as yeah. well. Um, yeah, you don't, of course, you don't get in the real world either. Um, yeah. So. Um, the one I went to, um, well, I only did a one year part time course and then we did um, Lambda exams in that one oh, part time yeah. course. But there was also a full time course and that was two years. And. Um, the way the um, <clears throat> the headmaster or whatever it was and his wife organised it was basically that they could work during the daytime to fund their education. So they had to go straight there after, you know, their full-time job um, yeah. for evenings and weekends. And that was for two, two or three years, I think, two no, years. We were very lucky. We came through because we started in 1999. Um, we came through at a time when funding was opened to a lot of working class students who couldn't have afforded to go to drama school before. Um, also in my school, there were a lot of EU students that were able to get grants. So we had a, a huge balance of nationalities, Icelandic, Swedes, Danes, Norwegians, uh, Croatian guys, somebody from Australia. Um, Somebody was Spanish, somebody was German. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, but yeah, we always referred to our grants as the Blair check because oh, really? 
Yeah, because prior to that, prior to that, there was no funding. And you'd seen that, um, you'd seen that through television in the 80s and 90s. Theater, you know, a lot of the, a lot, a lot of that world was dominated by people like, you know, Jeanette Stevenson or Kenneth Branagh, you know, people of a certain, certain class. And so it was quite difficult for working class actors to break through. And, um, yeah, God bless the Blair check. Um, how many were, I mean, how many of there were you in each class, roughly? Um, in my year, it was 35 of us, um, which then shrunk to maybe 31. I think four didn't end up completing. Um, and, of course, that then gets split into two halves for different classes, usually. Mm. Uh, yeah, and... Yeah, and sometimes into smaller, smaller classes for more kind of niche things like other stage combat or stand-up comedy and things like that that were okay. on there. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how did your writing career start off? Um, lyrics, really. I mean, I was okay. a story writer as a kid, but the first time when I, I felt like it was something serious. Um, mm. I was writing lyrics and poetry and uh, and getting into what that form demands. You know, the idea of... Um, well, the thing is about, broadly, about pop culture. I mean, what you're trying to do is you're trying to distill larger ideas into an easily understandable format that the person on the street can understand. Mm. That, that's That's kind of what pop culture does. And I learned to not be afraid of pop in itself, the idea, pop ideas. Um, there's a brilliant uh, book of Orson Welles interviews where he's interviewed by Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, Welles makes, you know, he's asked about pop culture and he makes the, he makes the totally uh, brilliant um, assertion. You know, what, what he says is, you know, the thing is we, People frown upon pop culture, but what what's Dickens? Yeah? What what Shakespeare? The, mm -hmm. Shakespeare and Dickens are pop culture. You know, Shakespeare was taking all of these wonderful things he'd read, uh, you know, the, in Latin and Greek, all of these ideas, and then reframing them for a for a, a, a British, for an English, specifically a London audience, and then as we know. A lot of the times in the plays, then as well, he'll say the same thing kind of three times. Once aimed to the the expensive seats, mm -hmm. and then something for those that have had a grammar kind of school level education, and then in a way that's understandable for the the man the man on the street that is totally illiterate. And um, yeah, um, and that. You know, that's part of what makes him great and I think makes him a touchstone for anybody with a, you know, um, in any uh, form of art. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, who were your uh, acting influences growing up and who were your fa favourite writers growing up? I crikey. Um, I guess well, it's film, so anyone film-wise, I guess. So who were your favourite film actors and who were your favourite um, screenwriters, I guess that's what. Well, I think after, for when you were 
Mike's preferred kind of comedy actors um, or actors that had a kind of comic touch to them. So if you're looking at like the golden age of cinema, it was people like Cary Grant and James Stewart, who always, even if they're in a kind of serious part, there's a kind of irreverence to them. There's a kind of like, life isn't that serious, we'll be all right. Mm. You know, Cary Grant, if you look at his performance, for instance, in North by Northwest, you know, which is, you know, it's such a, it's a serious thriller. His life's on the line. And yet he's still able to play it with this light touch where he's, you know, you get, yeah, he's, he never loses his humour. And I think no. that's it's almost a lesson for life in general. Yeah. About, <laughs> just about the way he performed Cary Grant was massive for me and then of course you know earlier on there were the more obvious comedies he did Philadelphia Story Arsenic and Old Lace uh, Bringing Up Baby things like that but later on I guess um, Gene Wilder was a massive massive influence uh, Um, I think what Gene Wilder does um, is is he bring or what he did was bring an intensity to to his characters to the way he delivered his lines, um, which is just unparalleled. It's just he, <laughs> he he can he can be so intense and and um yeah, it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's just he's quite, beautiful. It's quite scary in that film, is it? Um... Uh, is it Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? Chocolate Factory, yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever saw that film, but I've seen bits of it, and actually it, it, he is quite creepy in that film. But it also looks like, I don't know, because it was in the 70s, it looks like they must have been taking lots of LSD or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He <laughs> uh, was quite creepy, I think, in that film. But he's amazing as well. It's a trippy book, the original, you know, that, that, that it's based on. And uh, the character is, yeah, deliberately weird, mysterious, isolated. So that's just, uh, yeah, that's not necessarily showing what he does uh, at its best. Yeah. Um, for me, it's the, the work he did specifically with Mel Brooks. Um, the producers? Uh, the producers, um, <laughs> I love that film. and uh, Blazing Saddles, and and Young Frankenstein, which he uh, he wrote well, and then um, with some tidy up from Mel Brooks there. Um, so yeah, I got great admiration for him, uh, and also that he 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 tried to write as well. You know, Young Frankenstein was his. Uh, the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes's smarter brother as well that he did with. With Marty Feldman is a is one of my favourite kind of guilty pleasures. That film, it's flawed, it's it's messy, but um, mm. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And do you have any favourite writers as well when you were growing up? Uh, I think like for film. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess one of my favourite writers was Paul Schrader, um, okay. who. Wrote the script for Taxi Driver, for instance, um, and ended up di- writing and directing his own film, um, Blue Collar, not long after, which is just one of my favourite films. Totally adore that. That's with um, 
Richard Pryor, Harvey Cartel, and Yafit Koto, and a very young Ed Beatley Jr. as well. And it's just about union politics. Yeah, brilliant writer. Still, still working now. Still, uh, he's just uh, written directed um, a film called The Card Counter. I think it is. Just out this month. Okay. So when the pandemic, because we briefly spoke about this at the beginning, first broke out, were you working on anything at the time and then did it have to be put on a halt like everything else? Um, I was was teaching at the time. That was the thing. So I um, I teach um, improvisation. Okay. uh, um, Most often to people that have mental health issues, uh, anxiety, anxiety, um, all forms of depression, more serious stuff like bipolar or schizophrenia. And um, so, of course, the thing is, because you're dealing with people with anxiety, the class rate, the amount of people that are attending the class, don't don't like the canaries in the bloody coal mine, right? (laughs) The class attendance was dropping off before, just before lockdown. Because already they were like, oh, I can't risk this COVID thing. I'm not coming into class. Oh, really? So, like, our, our last class before classes were totally stopped was only attended by a third of the of, of those that should have been there. Because they all had anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but it is as well. No, right, right, exactly. They're like, screw this, I'm not coming in. <laughs> um, so it was when we got the phone call to say, hey, don't come in indefinitely. And um, yeah, it was kind of expected. Did you manage to keep going online though? Because there were lots of classes still going on. Started up, but it took a bit of time to for the machine. To, to get COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That. And that's where we're at at the moment. We're about to do our first live drop-in later this month. Okay. Um, that's our first in, geez, since March 2020. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So was there... Were you doing anything else during, like, say, when the second lockdown? When was the second lockdown? I forget. I think that was in November. Yeah, November, wasn't it? And then we were all stuck indoors for Christmas. Oh, um, that was awful, wasn't it? It was horrible. I mean, I got... <laughs> yeah, that was the worst one. It wasn't and a nice Christmas, was it? Already Jane did. Um, it was kind of an adventure, the first one, for a lot of people. I found it like that. So I, I had the chance to... Do all those little tasks you just shove to the side. Like, yeah, well, that was a good thing, I think, about, about the lockdowns. You know, yeah. it gives you a chance yeah. to do all the things that you never had time to do. And like you said, chores and things that, you know, like, oh, I can finally do that now. I can do this yeah. and I can do that. You know, you know that, yeah, that, that's a drawer full of all those papers that you're planning to go through. Because you know you only need to keep some of them and then the yeah. recycling and all of that kind of stuff taken care of. But, uh yeah, that I, I loved that. I loved that civilization had momentarily been put on hold so that I could go through my, my cupboards and sort out what I didn't want. <laughs> civilization. Do you know so, what I did like about it? It was was going out and the streets being so quiet was and there's no cars on the roads and everything. And then as soon as like it started easing off. 
and it was coming up into the summer. We had a really nice summer that year, didn't we? It was quite, it was a really good summer. Um, there were just people everywhere and I couldn't handle it. And also because of the anxiety as well, I can't handle people everywhere as well. So I was like, go back home, <laughs> get out of the way. <laughs> so that was kind of a good way, but it was eerie as well. It kind of, um, oh, you know, well, it was a bit eerie. It kind of reminds me of that film. Did you ever see that film? Um, is it 28 Days Later? The Absolutely. zombie. Yeah, I've seen that film. <laughs> Love that film. Um, yeah, yeah, that whole opening sequence where London is totally deserted. Yeah, because he wakes up, doesn't he? And it's like the opening. Yeah, uh, they shot that at like half four on a Sunday morning. Yeah. To get that, and if you look closely, you can see like little figures on the in the distance. On oh, really? The... Yeah, yeah. Zombie but, uh, figures. <laughs> Just normal people going about their business. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. Because you would think in a really busy tourist spot, how the hell do they manage to... Yeah, yeah, and that's what makes it brilliantly eerie. How yeah. old were you in that film when you saw that film? I was 21. 2001? Is that when it came out? I think it was 2002. No, it's 2002. All right, so I would have been 26. Definitely. Yeah, that was the year I graduated. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah my yeah. friend made me go watch it because I went up to meet my friend from college and he was like, okay, let's go to the cinema. And he paid for me, which was really, he was such a sweet guy. And um, he, and I was like, I don't want to watch it. I don't like horror films. And um, there was one bit where these zombies come out, out of nowhere. And I dug my nails into his arm. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he went, Jesus, I'm like this. <laughs> <laughs> trying to hide my eyes the whole time I'm such a wimp like that but yeah um did you go with anyone as well when you watched it did. I can't remember who I went with yeah because I was at the time a massive fan of Danny Boyle because of course he'd done Shallow Grave and uh Train Spotting which were generationally you know I was 21 where when Train Spotting came out and that was a massive mm. film, kind of generational film yeah. uh, we can talk about that in a bit if you want about his film yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, um, 28 Days Later, I believe it's the one of the first films in that period, certainly one of the first British films that was shot totally digitally. And it's very primitive digital camera. So you can notice, you know, the, that's the bit where they get to the barricaded tower block and then the bottom of the stairs is all blocked up mm. with shopping trolleys. Then you can kind of see the pixelation just because there's so many straight lines from the shopping trolleys, you yeah. can see that it's not quite 35mm quality yeah. at the moment. But, it does, but in general, it gives the film a totally, at that time, totally kind of contemporary feel, a totally mm. feel, it feels immediate, it feels almost like documentary-like. Um, yeah, I love that film. My... Um friends who run a small production company i mean I haven't spoken to them in years we just lost touch and they moved on um he hated that film i think <laughs> for that reason he didn't like the way it was filmed with the with the digital cameras or something i can't remember it was a long time ago but yeah it's funny how um everyone reacts differently obviously that's what yeah, I, that's uh, what one person will like the other person won't. That, it was the dawning of you know it was the dawning of a brave new age of which we're in now you know and we're mm. in the page and none of that would have been possible without you know putting digital technology in the hands of you know anybody can make a film um 
on their phone now. And, yeah. Uh, that, that's in the hands of, of anybody. And that's yeah. a beautiful, radical thing because once upon a time, you can only shoot film on film stuff. And Christ, that was expensive. Really? And, um, and you know, a digital card, you can do as many takes as you want now, mm. quite basically. So um, if you've got willing enough cast uh, yeah. and crew, then, um, yeah. So, do you, so obviously Danny Boyle is one of your favourite English directors because you mentioned him. Yeah, so, I've got a lot of time. Well, particularly for that early work. Yeah, yeah. for that generation, the 90s. I mean, I yeah. remember because we're probably roughly about the same generation, you're a few years older than me, but when Train Spotting came out, there were just posters everywhere, weren't they? And what it was an amazing, such... amazing uh, campaign. Yeah. The... And nobody had seen a poster like that before, had they? And the music no, was amazing. Yeah, the way they singled out the five main characters, the way the, it was, you know, the stark white and orange of the, you know, it looked, it looked like a, it's like a Campbell's tennis suit, right? In the red with the red. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's given you, yeah, it's a poster campaign inspired by, you know, all, all of those great, Princes like Warhol, and also I think it was during you know it has the advantage in that there's the soundtrack was amazing, and that was during like you said during the time of Britpop, so it was Britpop everywhere. So there was Blur, and who else was on soundtrack? There was Iggy Pop, Primal Scream Scream is on there with the the train spotting. Um, the one who sings, um, uh, such a perfect day, that one. Oh, that's Perfect. it, that's it. Oh, course, which is about you. taking drugs, that song. My mum, I tell you what's funny, is that that song, like, my mum, she didn't know that that song was about taking drugs, right? She, she thought, it's such a nice song. And she was really, she was kind of shocked when she realised that, um, yeah, it was about, you know. Well, some, of the, some of the prettiest songs are about heroin. Uh, Golden Brown by the Stranglers. Really? That's about heroin. Um, there she goes by the Lars. That's about heroin as well. There she coursing through my veins. Okay, <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. Oh yes, that's definitely about heroin. Um, um, I think I need. Well, is there anything you want to say about Train Spotting? What What stood out for you about that film? Um, I. Well, it was just it's very brave visually. I Ooh. think um, there's so many iconic moments, uh, dreamlike moments. The, when he when he realizes that he has to go and fish the suppository out. Oh, the he, toilet! Oh, he dives into what oh that horrible scene in the dirty the toilet. Oh God! Scotland, but then brian eno starts pumping through and then he's in this you know this wonderful seascape and everything yeah everything's uh dreamy of course the perfect day moment when he he ods and uh just falls through the carpet that's that for me is that's amazing that yeah. moment and that the, the scene with the baby that's terrifying the one that's falling on the ceiling yeah <laughs> That's that, that's cold turkey for you. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. brilliant. What uh, did you think of uh, Robert Kyle's? What was his character called? Bebe. 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 
absolute right. psychopath. He was taught by a uh, principal from my drum school, uh, Maggie oh, really? Kinnock. When she had worked in Scotland, she taught Robert Carlyle. A um, fantastic actor. Um, mm. Got a lot of time for him. He was, of course, kind of became famous here when he had a supporting role in a show called Cracker. Do you remember Cracker with Robbie Coltrane, who played a police psychologist? Yeah, yeah, I remember he had a small part in that, didn't he? It was yeah, he thing. played. Yeah, he played uh, a Liverpool fan that was out for revenge against mm. the Hillsborough disaster, and uh, and that's the episode where Chris Eccleston's chief inspector gets killed off. Oh, which okay. that was an unheard of thing in a major drama to like take one of your main characters and just and kill yeah. him off. It, it was, yeah. I mean, it was brutally shocking at the time. So, uh, yeah, no, not time, not time for uh, for Robert Carlyle. Yeah, great he, um, apparently, when he did like just after he finished shooting Trainspotting, he went straight on to do um, before Monty, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, it was quite back to back, and no, 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 no. Sorry, what am I talking about? Start again. <laughs> so basically, um, Trainspot had been released, and then not so long after, it was the Full Monty, and they were both really big films. So he was yeah. like from one big film straight on to another one, and it was like two big, um, I guess, kind of circuses going on at the same time. Um, so it was kind of like a double whammy for him. Was that one of your favourite films with him in it, The Full Monty? I thought about that um, film. Really. <laughs> Is it not one of your favourites? It's an all right way to waste an hour and a half. But yeah, it's I, a fun I, film. I don't think I love that film. I don't think it'd make a top hundred somehow. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> what are your other favourite um, Danny Boyle films, unless you want to talk a bit more about Trainspotting? Oh, uh, I love most of Sunshine. Um, I have the issue that um, Tarantino has the same issue that I have. I think Sunshine's a wonderful film, a wonderful examination of um, of science, of the argument of science versus fundamentalism. It's such a post-9-11 film philosophically. But then the last reel turns into a slasher movie, and it kind of... Up until that point for me, it was kind of up there with Solaris or, mm. or 2001 or, or, or not, obviously not quite that high, but in terms of being what one would think of as serious sci-fi, philosophical science fiction. And then it just kind of loses its brain in the last <laughs> 20 minutes. And it's... <laughs> And you've got a feeling it kind of feels like the test audience pressure or something, or I don't know. No. But it kind of ruins, kind of. Yeah. And that for me is what it's an all it's, it's an all time shame because up until that moment, I mean, God, that film's amazing up until that moment. Yeah. What did you think about Danny Boyle um, directing the two, uh, 2012 Olympics? ceremony was it the opening ceremony wasn't it yeah was the opening ceremony I, I was did you watch it yeah I did I wasn't in the country it's kind of weird I've been brought up in East London and then the one time the world decides to turn up in your backyard <laughs> yeah. I, I was like I'm not sure I really want to be here um 
but just by chance, I I um, it was it coincided with um, me moving to Italy for a year. Okay. So I, I lived in Venice for a year, and I was working in a touristy show about the story of Venice out there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I yeah I saw it. I didn't obviously didn't feel the same connection to it not being it was a bit strange wasn't it i found it a bit odd yeah it was amazing to watch it just i just it was just a bit strange (laughs) i found it yeah um, parachuting queen and all of that (laughs) james bond and (laughs) rowan atkinson on top of a bus i mean i don't i i don't know what any of this said about being British at the time. I mean, they talk about it as a golden age of cohesion, but here we are, not very much later. It's just <laughs> disorderly. Like, <laughs> Britain is now the drunk that's turned up at, <laughs> at half past two in the morning. Nobody knows what's wrong with them. They're just shouting a lot. And um, yeah. Have you seen that funny? Um... My friend posted it to me that there's that funny video and it's really cleverly edited. It's James Bond, the, the new James Bond film. And um, it, I can't say his name. Is it Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes? Fiennes. Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes. And, and he's saying, um, I need to call the prime minister. And it's a really serious moment. And then it cuts to Boris, <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson looking for his papers going, um, um, blast like this and he needs to start he's like like you know the buffing idiot that he is going on and then he's like and then he starts talking about peppa pig world or something and james yeah, Bond is like, I, I have seen that um <laughs> in the peppa pig stuff um <laughs> they say you get the means you deserve we must be terrible people <laughs> is i it, mean is it if that's what we deserve jesus <laughs> i mean just dig a massive hole and we can all jump in it. <laughs> Isn't Kenneth Branagh going to play him? Sorry? Someone's going to play him, aren't they? Is it Kenneth Branagh? Um, or was that a rumour? I, 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 I could see that. I could see that working. <laughs> um, yeah, Br- Br- Branagh's popular. I, um, yeah, we get what we deserve. Look at it. Look at it. <laughs> You know, it's just because the majority of people couldn't care about politics and they, they just, to them, it's another branch of entertainment, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and look at him. I mean, that's what he is. He's uh, on spitting image as well. Like, you know, the, those. <laughs> I mean, he's every uh, comedian's dream, really, really, isn't he? Yeah. But also, he's kind of like Trump. There's an element of it that's already beyond parody. He's already. He's already a parody of, of a human being, mm. right? And uh, so it's like, how do you how do you how do you lampoon that which is already laughable? It's um, he does the job perfectly fine by himself. Just actually playing videos of him unedited, and you know, like that Peppa Pig nonsense. <laughs> He's speaking um, to all of the top business minds of the country right there. Um, have you got any favorite films where people are portraying a real person since we're talking about that so for instance uh what was his name martin sheen played the prime minister in the queen with helen mirren um 
Uh, there's a good one to start. Michael Sheen as Brian Clough. He's an amazing actor, isn't he? And The Damned United, as well, okay. which is uh, mainly focuses on Brian Clough's 53-day reign at Leeds United. Um, yeah, brilliant performance here. Yeah, I, I don't know how he does it. He just kind of... Uh, you know, he's, he's David Frost in Frost Nixon. Likewise, he, he's, um, for me, he's like the best out there. Uh, being able to, because there's a danger when you're entering the realm of mimicry that you're not going to be real, that, it, that you're going to deliver an artificial performance. Yeah. Something I never feel when I'm watching Michael Sheen. And, he, and yet he's able to be a, a perfect mimic. In he's some ways. played quite a lot of 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 already, you know, uh, uh, people in our in the, yeah. in the entertainment. Yeah, so, right. so now we've got we've got Tony Blair, we've got David Frost, we've got Brian Clough. Also, he's in the film Fantabulosa, which is the life of Kenneth Williams. Okay, Again, astonishing performance. Really, in which he he lost like two and a half stone to play the part because wow. Kenneth was so kind of stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what was the other one? The one that came out with um, the famous scandal in 2002 with uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, oh Tarrant. Yeah, yeah, he played the, uh, the, 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 the famous, <laughs> the famous. Oh, no, he's Tarrant, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a brilliant Tarrant, yeah. Is it, is it a film or a series? I don't know. It was a TV movie. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, uh, it must be really hard for him because, like you said, he's not an impressionist, and no. I don't know. It must be really strange. Play, you're not a. Yeah, we're always told at drama school it's not what you put on; it's what you take off, right? It's the bits of you that you take off to leave those things that are parallel to the character you're playing. And yet, but how does that explain? portraying Chris Tarrant. I know. <laughs> you have to, you know, he gets the way he uses his mouth perfectly, you know, little details like that. Yeah. Little, little kind of shadow movements, the way he uses his hands. The detail in the work is astonishing. Mm. Um, and yet, like I said, it, uh, he, he obviously just works so hard in embedding all of those things that, he can then relax and let the performance breathe on top of it all. Yeah. Um, you know, so. um, those fake, so those people that do that for a living, the impressionists, for instance, um, they're, they're, they're obviously actors as well, originally. Right. And imagine, yeah, but, you know, but you know, what's funny is that you think, um, if they were doing you in front of you, <laughs> right. You'd notice so many things that you don't realize you're doing. Do you know? And that would yeah. make me really. Right. It's quite interesting because you'd be thinking, do I really do that? Do I, do, does my mouth really do that? Or do I really move like that? And, it, and like I said, they're so clever at like focusing and zooming into these little mannerisms that yeah. you do. And um, I think when you watch it on a, you know, if it was the actual person you're watching, you wouldn't pick up on that until the impressionist comes along and does their version. You're like thinking, yeah, <laughs> an interesting take on it because then it really gets you thinking. 
about yeah. people's mannerisms and absolutely. Uh, we used to do a cabaret at drama school that uh, um, me and my drama school mate David David Norton we we'd compare it as a as a failed stunt act called the Cunning Stunts and. Uh, our headline act, the first time we did it, was Alistair McGowan. And Alistair McGowan, literally, the first thing he did after being introduced was did a quick impression of us. So that is fucking awesome. What was that like when he did you? <laughs> well, he did the characters we were playing. So, oh, okay. So, yeah, he did us, but... He didn't do us, you know what I mean? It's, uh, mm. And it was only brief, so there's not enough detail to then go for, for those moments. Yeah. Like, I do that. <laughs> no, but, yeah, if there's a whole film about your life, Christ, that's that's got to be something to... <laughs> what are your other favourite films of people, uh, of actors portraying real people? Um, do you have any other ones? It doesn't have to be necessarily politicians, it can be... Anyone? Oh, funny enough, um, yeah, JFK, um, mm -hmm. where Kevin Costner plays Jim Garrison, the New Orleans district uh, attorney, because he's nothing like Jim Garrison in that film at all. Jim Garrison, mm. but he manages to to conjure some essence of him, some 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 emotional quality that he he nails. Um, um, but he he's doing something completely different. He's not going for a. He's not doing it the way Michael Sheen would because mm. Costa obviously was a is a very different kind of actor. Mm. Um, but he manages to just pick out key things that are true to Garrison's nature, which um, just make it a. Uh, an awesome performance for me. Yeah. And doesn't Gary Oldman play... Um, who does Gary Oldman play? He plays... Yeah. Uh, he's hardly in the film. Most of the stuff he did as well went, ended up in... Uh, well, it's in the director's extended cut. Ended up okay. on the um, cutting room floor. But I love the story with that piece. And literally, Oliver Stone, once he'd cast him, just gave him a bunch of money and just went, mate, go and find out who this guy is, right? Literally, go do your own research, travel to all these all these places where he lived, uh, to New Orleans, to Dallas, um, go speak to his wife if you can, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's an astonishing, when you see all of the extras as well, when you see the work, he did on that film. Yeah, it's an astonishing, astonishing uh, performance for somebody who history has possibly misrepresented. Mm. Not wanting to fall yeah. down too hard on any side of, of that, actually. <laughs> but there have been cases where there have been, you know, after the films come out where the actual person really didn't like the portrayal of but then it's like a fictionalized version of them, isn't it? It's it's them, but it's it's uh, I guess a heightened version of them. As soon as they see something, they like. I don't watch it, but people think think the crown's the truth, don't they? 
Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, it's just nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> but there are some amazing actors in there, like Olivia Coleman. I mean, she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, Had another no. one Carter. And uh, they've had Matt Smith, and who's the other guy? They've had, um, oh, crikey. Oh, John, uh, John, uh, the American actor. Oh, John Lithgow playing uh, yeah, Churchill. Churchill, which is like, crikey, that, no one saw that casting coming. No. Uh, yeah, that's pretty astonishing. Um, um, who was the one who played the, fir- the, the young Elizabeth, and then she left after, what's her um, name? Oh, it was a Matt Smith. I, I, I don't watch it. You know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, I don't watch it, but I just I know <laughs> that they're in. Um, don't know. Claire Foy. Is that's it, Foy? it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. There we go. They no, got their picture. Um, trying to think of the, the actor that plays one of the early... Um, is it the early... Uh, no, season three and four. Tobias Menzies, who um, obviously he, he played Brutus in the TV series Rome, HBO's Rome, which was uh, a, he's a brilliant actor. He's somebody mm. that doesn't get enough work mm. right there. Somebody hire Tobias Menzies a bit more, please, um, if you're listening to this. Definitely. What did you think of Gary Oldman's portrayal of Winston Churchill? What's the name of that film? I can't remember it. I've not seen it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. the, oh, is it The Dark Hour? The Darkest Hour? You know, oh, you haven't Darkest seen it. The Hour, that sounds about right. Not seen it, so... No, okay. It was no, um, good in it, but I never saw it. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I've not seen it. No, I'm just... Uh, yeah. Um, he's a brilliant actor, though, isn't he? I mean, no, he, he's an amazing actor. Um, what's Do you the, know what tour he went to? No, I don't actually. I know he's from, he's from South London, isn't he? He's from Brixton. Um, oh, is so he? He directed, of course, the with now my mouth film. One of those films with that people only watch once. It's really hard to watch. Sorry, I said with Nell and I. It's not with Nell and I. That's the other one with what's his face, Richard E. Grant. What was it called? With Nell. Uh, with nil, nil by mouth. Nil by mouth. I don't know why I keep saying with Nell. And <laughs> I. Um, yeah, that's a hard. That's a hard film to watch. I, I mean, it's an amazing film to watch, and it's obviously very true to his his um, upbringing because he was brought up by and the dedication at the end, like this, yeah. like to his. It's not an easy father. film to watch. <laughs> no, um, but so, then that's the uh, that's the, that's the, the thing behind it. You know, it's it's it it's not a movie movie. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a film that he wanted to make because at the time there weren't films like that. Oh, it's the only thing he ended up directing, right? So obviously mm-hmm. it's like, I'll tell this story and then that, that's all I, um, all I can, but yeah, it's an astonishing piece of work. It's hard to watch. It's obviously got, it's got, I mean, some amazing performances, not, you know, Ray Winston, the Kathy, but Charlie oh, that's, Cook-Royles that's, that's is hot. astonishing. Yeah. Uh, there's somebody that needs to work more. Charlie Creek Miles is, um, yeah, astonishing. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. I mean, I do kind of hope that Gary Oldman would start, you know, doing a bit more directing. But because I mean, he's got the capacity. Obviously, he's shown it. 
Um, but I guess, like you said, that was the only story he really wanted to tell. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, and uh, I, th I think he still feels he's got a lot to give uh, as an actor. Uh, I mean, crikey, I mean, there's so so many awesome performances mm. back from you know when he's in Sid and Nancy, um, directed by the by the great Alex Cox. Um, that's um, astonishing performance right there. Um, Prick up your ears, of course, where he's Joe Wharton, opposite uh, Alfred Molina as, as Halliwell, uh, the lover. Um, yeah, what, 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 a, what an actor. Yeah, but no, I've not seen, I've, I've got to be honest, I've not seen uh, whatever, Darkest Hour, there we go. Yeah, I didn't see it, but I know he won an Oscar for it, so, um, and it had yeah. a lot of, you know, Good reviews and everything. Did like he that. win an Oscar or did his prosthetics win the Oscar? Yeah, one, I can't remember. I think it was a bit of both, really. I mean, those prosthetics, how long does that take to put on? It's something ridiculous. Like, I imagine that. That's, that's. Can you imagine doing that every morning, waking up really early, going in, and then having to sit there while they put all this stuff on you for about, God knows how many hours? Of, of, of madness, yeah. Um, you'd have to try and find a way to just pass out whilst sitting still, I think. Yeah, and he was smoking um, a lot of the cigars as well, and he got, like, nicotine poisoning. Did he? Yeah, he got nicotine po poisoning. Um, and uh -huh. they, Can you imagine that? And So they stopped for Christmas, and he had to go for an operation. Um, oh. Yeah, so everyone else was going off doing their Christmas trees and their shopping, and he had to go... Uh -huh. And to um, you know, into surgery. So so that's dedication for you as well. <laughs> but yeah. yeah to go that far. So um but um I mean do you have any other favourite films where actors portray um real life people? Can you think of any? Um I don't know. Is he a real life person? Jesus. I'd have to say uh Scorsese. <laughs> Last Temptation of Christ with Willem Dafoe. I mean, I've I've read the novel by Nikos Kazantzakis, who's a a, a Greek, a Cretan, and um, uh, rather than a Cretan. And um, he uh, the the novel is an astonishing piece of work, and it's one of those things where it's like there's no way you could ever adapt that. No. Somehow, Scorsese managed to do it. Well, the script is by again my man Paul Schrader. Who, mm. um, who wrote Taxi Driver? And it's uh, Willem Dafoe is amazing in that film. Well, he is an amazing character actor as well. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's maybe it's maybe my favourite film of his. So telling of the of the Jesus story, if you will, and. Um, you don't think it, I mean, on paper it shouldn't work because it's full of, we're, we're used to these subjects being treated with kind of some kind of unnecessary reverence. Mm. Arts to be played by people that have just fallen out of radar. But then suddenly Scorsese has got like Harvey Keitel playing Judas and he's got Harry Dean Stanton playing... Uh, soul that becomes Paul. Suddenly, it's it's more it's immediate. 
it's it's there. It's in your face. These people are suddenly just real people. They're not. Yeah. They're not something taken out of a kind of a, a picture book. Um, Did you ever see the one with uh, that Mel Gibson directed? That one. Yeah. Um, Who hot? Yeah, didn't it? Terrific I watch. And I do wonder if there's an element, I mean, I do wonder about Mel Gibson, because there's an element of that film that could be classed as torture porn, really. Right, yeah. Because that's what, that's what a lot of people think about, weren't they? The fuck be out of him for half an hour. It's, um, I mean, he does the same in um, Braveheart, but in obviously in Braveheart, he's cast himself as the pseudo-messiah. Mm. Taking a part on a table, so um, well, that's also another, I guess, real life person he portrayed. Yeah, I mean, he directed the the one, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, he that's a great part, or a great, it's a great film. Um, even though you know, there's the accents are all over the place, it is a stirring piece of uh, Hollywood cinema. Um, I've got a good one for you. Um, since we're talking about accents, what did you think of Kevin Costner's portrayal of uh, Robin Hood? Oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> wow. That was, uh, he could do no wrong at that point. You know, the accents. Um, he had this run of films around about then when he was like suddenly massive. And, um, and it was like The Untouchables was brilliant. Field of Dreams, he's brilliant in that. Uh, JFK, astonishing performance, and then for some reason he he does that, gets acted out of the park by Alan Rickman, which must have been absolutely galling. That one, Mate, Alan um, Rickman was amazing in that film, though. I mean, he was yeah, so yeah. like you know, obviously he's he's the uh, the quintessential <laughs> typical bad guy, and then obviously he was in Die Hard as well as the. The bad. Oh no, he wasn't English in in Die Hard, was he? No, he was German. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's um, right. But yeah, no, he was amazing. He and and I think to be honest, he stole. We <laughs> saw the movie of Kevin Costner, really. <laughs> I bet you there's a whole other 10, 15 minutes that ended up on the cutting room floor. Of you know, just because otherwise the film would have been absolutely unbalanced. Um, <laughs> And then Sean Connery. Yeah, I, love, I, love, I did love the film at the time. You have to yeah. take it. You have to take it for what it is. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not the Errol Flynn version, which for me is still the best version. It's it's still beautiful to look at. But at the time, it was a totally worthy retelling of of the story. It's it's you know what what do you expect from Hollywood? Yeah. In, 1990, 91. I mean, you know, it's you know what I remember that was because it was uh Brian Adams, wasn't it? Oh, oh that song was number 13, one. 13, uh, how many weeks was it? Number one, yeah, 13 yeah. weeks, and then four weddings and a funeral did the same. Oh, trip. god, yeah, yeah. love is all around, yeah, and. Bodyguard did it with I Will Always Love You. That was like number one for like nine weeks as well. Really? <laughs> Fuck you, Costner. So it was like Brian Adams again, the first week, good. Right, the second week, yes. 
And it went on and on and on and it's just all... <laughs> Yeah, it's the one thing that gives me PTSD watching the film. Oh, you think yeah, turn on the film, you think you're fine. And then you hear the you hear the melody played by the orchestra in the background and start shaking. Uh... <laughs> Did you ever see since we're talking about Robin Hood? Did you ever see the the version that Mel Brooks did with what's his name? The English Robin actor, Hood, Men in Tights. <laughs> yeah, it's, I remember seeing uh, it for my birthday with my friend and my mum and his mum, who oh also good God. friends. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and the farting seat was it? The what? Is that or is that another film? That was another of his film. But there was Space and Animals. Is the 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 main the classic. Uh, being thing. yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, Mel Brooks, I, he kind of lost it for me a bit towards the end, but definitely those early films through the 70s produces Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, Silent Movie, High Anxiety, all of those I, I adore, and then and then it gets a bit patchy in the 80s, yeah, like uh, History of the World Part One. And Spaceballs, which is not totally a lot of fun, but just not totally successful for me. Mm. It's, um, but I would, you know, it's something I will, one of those guilty pleasures, something you would watch. And, you know, you catch it, it's already 10 minutes in, and it's like, crikey, let's leave, the, leave it on. Yeah. You know what's yeah. funny is that um, I saw the producers, I think it was last Christmas actually, with my mum and stepdad and um and the scene that always cracks me up is the reaction of the audience when it <laughs> springtime for Hitler <laughs> at Germany and he cut to the audience and her mouths are like drop open has like complete shock <laughs> absolutely because that's such a new story as well because you know you know a lot of the a lot of the Comedy, a lot of the comedy worlds at the time are great Jewish uh, writers, people like Sid Caesar, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, all of these guys. Um, and so, the, yeah, the horror, the horror of, of the Holocaust and Hitler is very real for these people. For, for the, for, you know, Mel Brooks is one of that audience himself, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, that's it. Nobody else could do it. That that's that's yeah, why he gets away with it. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas if it was someone who wasn't of a Jewish background, yeah, then yeah. then it could be taken out of yeah, uh, so, context. Yeah. So it's context. Jeez, context is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's what makes that film shine so beautifully still to this day. Um, actually, I was going to ask you a question since we're talking about the producers, because um, it came up when I was talking to my stepdad. Are there actually? Does do you reckon that actually goes on where people like producers go put on shows where they don't, you know, they just want to make the money back, and it doesn't have to be. It can be a complete flop, and that's what they want it to be. Does that actually happen? Do you reckon? Uh, I know. Now there, it's a funny thing. I'm not so sure how it is in the theatre world. But in but the I film world, do you reckon well, it happens? I don't know that happens in the film world that you can get certain funding and certain 
tax breaks for your funders where you can essentially earn a very good living pumping out very mediocre material that's never seen by anybody. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we we do, you know, we know a director like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say names on here. But um, <laughs> if, if Mark and David are listening now, they're uh, a brother. They'll know, will they? They all know who I'm talking about. We used to try to uh, get all four of you on at the same time. But then I think that would be like, I don't know, like back in school days, and I'll be like the teacher. <laughs> I was like, now behave yourself. <laughs> One at a time, put your hand up. Stay away from that if I were you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't really think of anything else to say. I mean, can you think of anything else you want to say film-wise? Because we went on a bit of a roll. So actors who portrayed real people, and we went on about mind sheen and we talked about robin hood i mean robin hood's been one of those films been done so many times hasn't it and then there was russell crowe yeah, they've gone too far the other way now haven't they the, the, the russell crowe one is about as close as you can get to being historic uh, and historically accurate version of the story and it's ultimately it's as dull as dishwater mm. you know but it'll always be redone, you know, with um, America has, you know, Batman and Superman and, and all of those things, right? But I guess what, so. We've got, we've got King Arthur and we've got Robin Hood. And I guess now uh, you'd say Sherlock Holmes and James Bond. They're all kind of British superheroes. Yeah. Um, so the Robin Hood story or the King Arthur story will continue to be reinterpreted a trillion times before the heat death okay. of the universe. Another one that's been done a lot, re, re, uh, redone or re, revamped through the generations is uh, Little Women. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Just one of those. Yeah, because... There was a yeah. recent one, wasn't there? Yeah, and then there was the one way back with Winona. Yeah, remember that one. That was see the funny thing is you kind of relate to the one your generation. So I saw that when I was a teen. I, mean, I can't remember when that was. I mean it's obviously in the 90s. But um I must have been I guess 14ish. I don't know. So when I refer to uh little women that's always the one I go to. That's why I don't want to watch yeah. the other ones. But I think that's a generation thing whereas this Absolutely, one. and it's and it's right that it's that story almost. It, it, it's ripe for demanding continual reinterpretation. That's mm. uh, a flag bearer of how far we we have come as a as a society. Yeah, that's why it always becomes this kind of touchstone every 20 years or 15 20 years it'll get remade again and as a kind of like oh where where are we now yeah you know actually a good example of that because we're talking about you know remakes and the generation thing is that very recently the steven spielberg west side story has come out or is it coming out very soon it was, you know what, the original. I'm me, not watching it because I love the original too uh, much. <laughs> latest musical of all time. It is amazing, and I'm not watching it. I just, I'd be like, no. However, however, have you seen the reviews that have been coming out? The reviews are astonishing. Really? 
views are like Spielberg's best film ever. Only Spielberg could have pulled this off. It's uh, the reviews have been astonishing. Yeah, and it was the one thing I've. For me, it was when I properly fell in love with musicals was when I was directed, you know, eight or nine, and my mum, it was on TV on a Saturday afternoon, maybe, and my mum just went, you want to watch this? Mm. Like, it, like, it's important that you watch this. Because that was an important film for my my family, because uh, my dad being uh, Greek separate and my mum being British, her, her mum was kind of resistant to the relationship at the beginning, as a lot of British people might have been to, into interracial marriages or relationships. And the way my mum and dad solved the problem is that they took my mum's mum and all watched West Side Story, right? Yeah, but that's it. Like, it's like... And, 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 and they never heard a peep out of the family after that because that... Really? It's also reinforced that part of uh, Bernardo is played by George Shakiris, who's a Greek actor. So, oh, yeah, of course. So um, West Side Story has become an important film in my family's mythology, you know? Yeah. The, uh, it's it's the, the film that got my mother's side of the family to go, okay, oh, yeah, maybe if you're against interracial marriages, it does end up horribly so maybe we should learn to be a bit more tolerant yeah. um, so i've huge huge connection to that film and i was like that why is spielberg even bothering but i'm gonna have to watch it now i've, I've not seen reviews like this for of, of anything for ages yeah so we're gonna go watch it together because, like, when we had the lot. Oh, I forgot to tell you, when we had the last lockdown. So I suggested that every week we do like um, no, like a book club, but we have a film club. So we take it in turns. So basically, <laughs> there was a, a big cup with our names in it, and then at the end of each week, a name would get picked out, and that person would have to come up with a film for everyone to watch, and then we we discuss it the next weekend. Um, and actually, it was really good because it's really interesting hearing other people's um, opinions. And sometimes one film that you love is another film that absolutely the other person can't stand and they didn't sort of get it to it. So it is really interesting. And also, you know, you kind of get into it, it is like book club because you kind of get into the kind of the nitty gritty of it all. And it absolutely. is really interesting. It's great to pick these things apart to deconstruct films. Uh, it's great to find out how you your feelings for for something. I'm I'm, I'm a huge fan of flawed things as well. Um, like it'd be very easy to do a list of what's your favourite films, and it's 2001, and it's Godfather Part Two, and it's Citizen Kane, and everything you know. But sometimes watching something like like Jesus, guilty pleasures, like getting through Highlander, like Highlander is. For me, it's on paper, it's kind of terrible, honestly. But I tell name me a time I've not switched over, found that it's on television, and then not watched it to the bloody end. Right? Really? <laughs> every time, every time, just sucked in. It's uh, yeah, it's, uh, we should, we should, and so we should embrace, uh, you know. 
sometimes you want chewing gum. You don't need the art house all the time. No. Know? So uh, those things, those things are important too. What are since you're talking about guilty pleasures? I'll tell you what. We'll we'll, we'll wrap it up. So bet we can wrap up on this. So. What are your guilty pleasures? So if you're having a really bad day or you feel really crappy and you kind of need cheering up, what are the films that you're going to go back and watch? Oh, uh, oh it'd be any of the great cinema comedies. Um, it'd be Life of Brian or Young Frankenstein or um, Four Lions. For me, maybe they're my three favourite comedy films of all time. It's not just about comfort for me, it's just about thinking in a different way. You just need to not give yourself some cognitive dissonance sometimes. You need to, if you're not feeling great, it's, you know, you can have a cup of hot chocolate, but it's, you know what I mean? It's not about comfort, it's just about putting your brain somewhere else. That's the only thing. Yeah. That's, comfort is just putting it anywhere else. And um, so yeah, there'll be there'll be films I'll always go back to, definitely. Okay, Chris, I think it's time to wrap it up there. Thank you for talking to me today. My pleasure, Sonia. Um, are you feeling better now? Because you were really nervous earlier. I uh, was slightly nervous, but that seems like a lifetime ago now. Okay. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. You've been awesome. It's been brilliant. You too. You've been absolutely lovely. And come back anytime you want. Thank you very much. I might just do that. Okay. I'll let you be. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your evening. And you. You look after yourself. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.